Thanks for listening to the Refuel Podcast. Be sure to tune in every Thursday for a new episode. So tonight, uh, I want to start by asking you a question. And uh, if you have an interesting answer, feel free to share. But what's the most important thing you've ever lost? Have you ever lost something that was like, you don't want to lose it? What'd you lose, Gabe? I lost my sanity for a couple years. Your sanity, yes. You don't want to lose your sanity. That's a very good answer. Uh, Anybody else, you lost something like very important, very consequential? Mikey. Oh, really? Think it was fake or think it was real? I thought it was real. Oh, yeah? So, um, anybody else lose something important? Okay, well, I'll tell you a story about something. I'll, uh, Luke, what'd you lose? You lost your phone? How many have lost your phone at one point in time? Wow. Uh, what's the, oh, you left, you left it somewhere? Uh-huh. Oh no. Oh wow. I'm glad she was honest and kept it for you. Um, I lost something that was pretty important one time. I was out of the country. Um, I was in a place called Etiquipa, Peru. And um, I uh, flew in with a a team. Um, I was a college student. I went on a college mission trip to Peru. We flew in, and if you've ever been out of the country, they stamp your passport. They give you your passport back to you. Um, Our trip leader said, now, once we get to the hotel, we're going to put all our passports in a safe because you don't want to lose your passport in a foreign country. So he said, until you get to the hotel, you've got to keep an eye on your passport. So I put my passport in my backpack. You don't go anywhere without your backpack. And on our way to the hotel, we stopped at a restaurant to eat. And it was a buffet, Peruvian buffet. It was actually pretty good. But I made a rookie mistake. When you're out of the country, you don't leave your bag unattended. And I left my bag on the back of the chair, and I went because it was a a Peruvian steakhouse. And I, I, I I had one thing on my mind, and it was red meat. And I had my plate loaded up. And when I got back to my table, my backpack was gone. And... I went looking, I looked under the table, looked everywhere, and then some, uh, some lady said, hey, I just saw some lady, she grabbed your backpack and left with it. So it had all my money, it had my Bible that I'd had since I was five years old, and it had my passport. And the only way to get back in the United States is to have a passport. So I lost something that was very important to me. Um, had to go to the embassy and get like a temporary passport and all kinds of stuff. It was wild. Um, but there are some things you just don't want to lose. Uh, I lost something else too that I'm not proud of, but I lost the Promise Scholarship. I had it and I lost it because my first year of college, I really wasn't that interested in academics. And I lost the Promise Scholarship. Don't do that. But you, you think about how a lot of times when we lose things, it has to do with a, a problem or something that we messed up on our part, right? I lost the Promise Scholarship because I didn't perform well academically. I lost my passport because I was stupid, right? Like, the, the reason we lose a lot of things has to do with our performance. 
So we started this series last week, and the series is called I Doubt It. We're talking about doubting your salvation because it's something a lot of teenagers do, something a lot of adults do sometimes, is doubting whether or not you're saved. Thinking, I was saved when I was a kid, or, you know, I've been going to church my whole life. How do I know I'm saved? Last week, we talked about the question, did I mean it? When I was saved, did I mean what I said? Did I truly understand what I was doing? Um, Tonight, we're talking about the next question about being sure you're saved, and the question is, can I lose it? Is being saved kind of like a passport? If you're stupid, you can lose it. If you misplace it, you lose it. Is it kind of like the promised scholarship? Like if you don't perform at this level, does God say, eh, you don't deserve that anymore? You know, and, and that may sound like a silly question, but have you thought about like the, the way we process things? Can you lose your salvation? What if you mess up in a big way? Can you lose your salvation? You think about some of the people you see on the, on the news that have done incredibly hurtful things to other people and they get arrested and they put in prison and they're locked away for the rest of their life. What if they were saved and they did that? Could they lose their salvation? Would it be right for them to be able to go to heaven? What about someone who, or what about you if you maybe don't just do something terrible, but you like sin, like you feel like you mess up every day, have like an an addiction, like a pornography addiction or something that you just can't seem to beat and you can't seem to get rid of. Will God get impatient? Does that mean you weren't saved to begin with? What if, what if you just, you you keep sinning and you keep sinning and you keep sinning and you keep messing up and keep messing up and never turn back to God? Will you lose your salvation? Can you be saved then and not be saved now? As we talk about this tonight, this is something that is is very important and it's actually kind of controversial. Um, I've talked to some people um, that swear up and down that if a Christian sins enough or they do something bad enough, that God will, I guess you could say, pull their salvation card. That God will say, that's enough. I'm letting go of you. But tonight, as you turn in your Bible, you go ahead and turn to John chapter uh, number 10. As you turn in your Bible, I want you to think about what it means to be saved in this way. Now, being saved isn't about me holding on to God, but it's about God holding on to me. I'm going to mention that a few times because if there's no, if you don't remember anything else, I pray and I hope you remember that that salvation isn't about you holding on to God. It's about God holding on to you. And John chapter 10 is is kind of interesting because it's at the end of this big long ordeal that Jesus has with people. Do you ever have a? You ever get involved in drama with people? Or you don't, of course, you never, you would never get involved in drama with people. The drama finds you, right? But have you ever had like a back and forth with people? Jesus is involved in a back and forth with people. And Jesus lived in this area called Galilee in northern Israel, northern, you know, north of Judea. But every once in a while when there would be these Jewish festivals, he would go to the capital city, which was Jerusalem, to take part in these you know, Jewish festivals in, in the temple in Jerusalem. And Jerusalem was like the happening place. We don't have a happening place in West Virginia, right? We have to drive to like Columbus or Pittsburgh or you know, Louisville or something like that. 
Jerusalem was the happening place. So when Jesus would come to Jerusalem, he would go to the temple and he would start teaching people. And the people in the temple would start to get pretty upset because Jesus taught the Bible and taught more truthfully than they did. And he was starting to attract a bigger crowd. So the people in Jerusalem, in this city, when Jesus went during this this period of time, you can read about it in John chapter 7, actually. It's called the Feast of Booths. It was like this, this festival the conversation had to go, had to do with who is Jesus? Who is this guy? Like he does these miracles. Like he makes blind people see. He, he, he raised this guy Lazarus from the dead. Um, he turned water into wine. He's doing all these incredible things. He has these incredible te- this incredible teaching. Could he be the one that God promised would come and, and save Israel and save the world? Or is he just like a really good teacher? Is he an illusionist? Like, you know, is he... Is he making it look like these people were healed and they really weren't healed. So the question has to do with who he is. And you don't have to do that, but if you can, we're encouraging everyone to bring their Bible. So maybe if you have your Bible, flip back to John chapter 7. I want you to see the discussion that's going on around who Jesus is. John chapter 7, verse 12, they say, he's a good man. Others say, no, he's leading people astray. Same chapter, verse 15, they say, how is it that this man has learning, but he's never studied? He didn't go to college. Then people said in verse 20 of chapter 7, you, Jesus, you have a demon. They think Jesus was demon-possessed. And then in, in verse 25, a whole other group said, is this not the man whom they seek to kill? There are people trying to kill Jesus. Then in verse 26, people say, can it be that the, authority, that the authorities really know that he's the Christ? Maybe he is this person that God promised. Chapter 30, we realized there was a group of people that thought Jesus was so dangerous he should be arrested. Verse 31, it says that some people believed that Jesus was God. We could keep going and we could keep going and we could keep going, but maybe if you look at verse 43 of chapter 7, it sums up what was going on in Jerusalem. It says, there was a division among the people over him. And there were pretty much two groups of people. There were people that thought Jesus was crazy and that Jesus was dangerous because he was doing all these incredible things. And then there's another group of people over here that thought that, wow, Jesus can heal people. Jesus can teach people. With authority, Jesus must be God. He must be who he says he is. He must be God. So you see there's division. Some people believed in Jesus, and some people didn't believe in Jesus. And that was the discussion that was going on during this Feast of Booths. So after the Feast of Booths is over, Jesus goes back to his hometown area of Galilee. And the people of Jerusalem kind of go back to doing whatever Jerusalem people do. But then two and a half months later... Starting in chapter 10, there's another festival. It's called the Feast of Dedication. It's a feast that happens in the winter in Israel. That feast still goes on now. It's, now they call it Hanukkah, or as they say it in Israel, Hanukkah. You got the when you say it, you know, Hanukkah. But it, it was during the winter time, two and a half months after the last time Jesus was in Jerusalem, and Jesus steps into Jerusalem, and guess what happens? The buzz starts circulating again. Everybody... You, 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 I shouldn't just point over here. You girls know what it's, what, it's, what it's like, right? When the one girl that everybody's talking about steps into the room, y'all, y'all are like nodding your head. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Everybody's talking about her again, right? She brings the drama. Well, Jesus steps back into Jerusalem. All of a sudden, everybody's talking to Jesus, about Jesus again. And in verse Number 22, we're going to start reading, and we got it on the screens if you don't have your Bible. It says, at the time, the Feast of Dedication, remember that's Hanukkah, took place at Jerusalem. It was winter. Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews, the Jewish people, gathered around him, and they say, how long will you keep us in suspense? 
If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered, I told you. <laughs> it's like, I've told you like a million times. You know, it's going to sound like your parents, right? I've told you a million times and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who's given them to me is greater than all, and no one's able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. And I should add that after Jesus said that in verse 31, it says the Jews picked up stones again to stone him. <laughs> they didn't like his answer. So what we see here um, is, and before we get into the points, I've got F words tonight, by the way. It's been a long time. They're back. Uh, before we get into the points, I want you to notice there's a distinct, distinction that Jesus makes. He says in verse 25, you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. There are two kinds of people that Jesus is talking about here. We kind of already mentioned it. There are people who believe in Jesus. And there are people who don't believe in Jesus. The people who believe in Jesus, Jesus refers to as his sheep. We're going to talk more about sheep later. But sheep aren't always the cute, cuddly creatures that, that, that we make them out to be on like you know, cartoons. But the people who believe in Jesus are his sheep. The people who don't believe in Jesus are not his sheep. And there are promises that Jesus makes that we're going to talk about about, toward those people who are Jesus's sheep. That has to do with people who are saved. Remember last week we talked about what does it mean to be saved? How, how are you saved? You're not saved by what you do. You're not saved by how great you are. You're saved by one thing, by believing in Jesus. The big B word, believing in Jesus. So Jesus is talking about people who are saved, people who are his, sheeps, his sheep, and people who are not saved and people who are not his sheep. You, you understand the difference here? There are two kinds of people. There are people who believe in Jesus and are saved. There are people who do not believe in Jesus and are not saved. We learned last week that the people who believe in Jesus, they have a promised home in heaven waiting for them. Their sins are forgiven. The Holy Spirit moves into their heart, and Jesus gives them life that starts now and lasts forever. And unfortunately, those people who don't believe in Jesus, the sins that they've committed against God are not forgiven. And the ugly, inconvenient truth is that people whose sins are not forgiven will have to pay for their sins in eternity in a place called hell. And that's a place nobody wants to go. So that's why we're so serious about this series is we want everybody to know that they're saved, that they're Jesus' sheep. So maybe you, there's been a time where you said, I believe in Jesus, and you put your faith in Jesus, but you wonder, is that enough? <laughs> Is that really enough to, to outweigh all the bad things that I did even after I was saved? Well, let's look at the promises that Jesus makes about his sheep and to his sheep. And these are four, if, if you're taking notes, you could even write it down like this. There are four reasons why you can't lose your salvation. Why once you're saved, you're always saved. And the first reason is because Christ is enough. Because Christ is enough. Look what Jesus says. He says, I give them eternal life. It reminds me of, a, of what Jesus was recorded by the uh, Apostle John earlier as saying um, to a, um, a guy named Nicodemus. He said, God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That's so whoever believes in him shouldn't perish. It's a gift from God. He, he gave it to us because he loved us. But what exactly did Jesus give us? He says, I give them eternal life. Some people think of salvation being saved as just like a get out of hell free card. You know, it's like when you play Monopoly, like get out of jail. Like, like they think of being saved as just a get out of hell free card. It's so much more than that. If you go back to um, 
Earlier in chapter 10, Jesus said it like this. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and they may have it abundantly. Or the New, um, New Living Translation says that, I may, that they may have life to the full. Did you th- hear the words that we sang in this song before? This, it talks about the life that Jesus gives. It, we talked about Jesus brings joy, our righteousness and freedom, steadfast love, deep and boundless peace now. It says the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Satan wants to steal your peace. He wants to kill your joy, and he wants to destroy your worship to God. He wants to ruin your life. He knows that he can't have you forever if you're saved, so he wants to make you as miserable as he can for the rest of your life. But Jesus has a life that's abundant and full to live now. It's a life that even though school is just terrible, and even though you, you feel like your teachers are just laying it on way too thick to make up for last year because you didn't do as much work last year, they feel like. And, 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 and you're dealing with drama at school and people giving you, mad, you angry or just stupid looks in the hallway. And, 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 and sports isn't going the way you want to go. And all these things are happening in your life. You can still have this full life that Jesus offers. And you don't even have to wait until you get to heaven to have that life. It starts now and it just gets better and better and better until you spend eternity with Jesus. Um, but how did Jesus give us this life? He says, I give them eternal life. Think about the things that Jesus did in order to give that life to us. He died on a cross. He lived a perfect life and suffered and wore our sins so that when, when Jesus said, it is finished, when he breathed his last breath and he died, our sins died with him. The Bible says the blood that he shed in 1 John chapter 4, is an atoning, a satisfying sacrifice, a purifying sacrifice for our sins so that when, when, when somebody is saved, when they're over here, one of Jesus' sheep, and God looks, at that, God looks at me, he doesn't see all the bad things I did. He doesn't see all the bad things I'm doing today. He doesn't see the bad things I'm gonna do. He sees the perfect life that Jesus lived. He's a substitution for us, and it's a gift that we receive. Ephesians, you may want to write next to that in your Bible, next to this, um, I give them eternal life. You may want to kind of like do a little line out there and write Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. It says, by grace, you're saved through faith, and it's not of yourself. It's the gift of God, not of works. If I were tonight to give away a set of AirPods, AirPod Pros, who would want them? Like, who would want them? Stephen, come on up. <laughs> I don't know if this is going to go the way you think it's going to go. But if, if, if I were to say, Stephen, I would like to give you these AirPods. And you were to, before you take them, you say, wait, I'll give you five, and, and you, you tell me, I'll give you five dollars for them. And I say, well, that's kind of weird, but okay. And I take your five dollars, and I give you the AirPods, and you sit down. <laughs> I better be getting those back. And, uh, and, and he sits next to Asher, and he's bragging to Asher, I bought a set of AirPods. And he's acting like he's, he, he, that he's a baller because he bought these expensive AirPods. He doesn't tell anybody he bought them for $5. And where does all the glory and where does all the pride go? It goes to Stephen. You see, he's talking a big game already. You know? it, it, it all goes to Stephen. Did Stephen really pay for those AirPods? Who paid for the AirPods? 
April did. She bought them for me. <laughs> uh, but did he really pay for the AirPods? No. That's, the, that's what it looks like when we say, when God, when God says, I want to give you the gift of my son who died on the cross for your sins, and we say, God, I'll give you a mission trip for my salvation. God, I'll give you my church attendance for my salvation. It's just like Stephen offered me $5 for those AirPods. I don't want to forget to get those back. You see, when Jesus said it's finished, he meant it. He meant that every sin you would ever commit paid for on the cross, that every bad deed, every injustice, every part of unrighteousness that was part of your life was covered by his blood. And for us to think that we can lose our salvation because we sin is us to say that Jesus' blood isn't enough to cover our sins and that his death wasn't enough to cover our sins. Do you see what I'm saying? One reason you can't lose your salvation that we see here is because it's a gift from God and Christ is enough. The next reason you can't lose your salvation that we see in here is because God's word is true. I was at a Marshall game. I'll have to set this up for you. I, we, we moved here when I was five years old and I had no idea how big, none of us in our family had any idea how big Marshall football was. I mean, now I'm a big Marshall fan. If you're a West Virginia fan, you need to get saved right now. Come to the altar, repent of your sins, you know, get saved. Anyway, um, I had no idea how big of a deal Marshall was and uh, we, uh, somebody gave us some tickets to a Marshall game. It was when they were really good. You know, Jim Donnan was a coach, and, and we, the stadium was packed. My dad and my brother Danny and I were sitting there, and we were, there were some big rednecks behind us. And, you know, my dad's from Pennsylvania. Like, we're not used to rednecks like this. You know, we're not used to cut you. And the game was going well, and it was halftime, and the game was getting ready to start. And then all of a sudden, I hear this guy behind me say, He, he screams, he, he, if you know my dad, my dad jumps at anything. Like he, he just startles, Josh and I, startles, startles really easy. And this guy jumps up and goes, that guy ain't got no clothes on. There was a streaker that had jumped out on the feet. You know, and when you're a kid, things stick in your mind, you know, unfortunately, right? But I, I'll never forget some guy standing up and going, that guy ain't got no clothes on. And, you know, so the first thing, my mom's like, how's the game? And I was like, I found out what a streaker is, you know. Um, but have you noticed sometimes people use what's called a double negative? That guy ain't got no clothes on to emphasize something? Like when something's really important or really bad, that guy ain't got no clothes on. You emphasize it. If you look here, well, you can't really see it in, the, in, in, in our English translations, but in the Greek, when John was writing this down, he wrote Jesus' words down like this, and I'm going to kind of translate it as I go. I give them eternal life, and they won't never perish. That's literally the way it's read in the Greek. And what they would, when they would do that, when they would write it like that, it was to emphasize something. It was to shine the spotlight on something. God's word, it emphasizes here that people who are God's sheep won't never perish. Those are the direct words of Jesus. Um, think about it. If you can lose your salvation, think about all of God's word that would be undone. It's like pulling at a thread. You ever pulled at a thread and it just keeps going, it keeps going, it keeps going, before you know it, half your clothes are off. 
You know, you, I did that one time when I was in school and I was pulling on this like shirt sleeve and my whole shirt sleeve just fell off, right? When you pull at the thread of salvation and wonder, can I lose my salvation? Here are some of the things that would have to be undone. Just, just like this verse that emphasizes that they won't never perish. Think about it. First, 2 Corinthians 5 said that when you're in Christ, you're a new creation. That you would have to be a, turned back into an old creation. Romans 8 says that when you're saved, you're indwelled by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit would have to move out of your life if you could lose your salvation. Romans 8 said that we were predestined, called, justified, and glorified. All that would have to be ripped out of the Bible. Ephesians 1 says it like this. We were predestined, adopted, redeemed, forgiven, heirs, sealed with the Holy Spirit. All three members of the Trinity would have to fail you if you could lose your salvation. And in John chapter 3, the same book, Jesus told a man named Nicodemus that being saved means that you are born again spiritually. I have a picture of a baby. It's hard to find a cute newborn baby. You ever seen a, a freshly, I Googled freshly born baby. You ever seen a freshly born baby? I, I'm telling you, I, yeah, you have to be nice and tell people their babies are cute when they're just born. They look like the end of a hot dog. I mean, they're just ugly. But here's what I've learned. Nobody's ever been able to be un, this, this is probably bad English, okay? Nobody's ever been able to be unborned. Think about it. I know it's bad English, okay? Nobody's ever been able to be unborned. People have been born and they have passed away, but no one has ever been born. Nicodemus asked the same question. Nobody's ever been able to be born and go back into their mama's belly. Right? It's like, a, it's, it's, it's like a one-time deal, right? You know, your mom goes to the hospital, heave-ho, you're born, you can't be unborn. You following me? I don't want to get too medical here, but you can't be unborn. The Bible says that when you are one of God's sheep, that you were born again to everlasting life. And one more time, I'm going to use bad English, you can't be spiritually unborn. If we believe that God's word is true, it gives us assurance that we can't lose our salvation. So that's the second reason is because God's word is true. The third reason is because Jesus is a good shepherd. John chapter 10 is kind of, maybe in your Bible you have the heading, I am the good shepherd. In my ESV Bible, I have the heading, I am the good shepherd. And I... I, I could try to tell you and explain to you what sheep are like, but I want to show you this short little video clip to explain all you need to know about sheep. <laughs> so, when Jesus compares you to one of his sheep, it's not necessarily a compliment. Sheep are prone to wander away. Sheep are prone to do really ridiculous things. You, they say that the, the one thing that a sheep sees more than anything is the butt of another sheep because they're always following each other. They don't think about where they're going. They just go. They just follow the other sheep. And we are prone to wander. And this entire John chapter 10 talks about how Jesus is a loving shepherd. He guides his sheep. He cares for his sheep. And it says in verse, uh, at the end of verse 28, no one will snatch them out of my hand. 
That's a term that was used with, with, with you know, we don't, we're, we don't, anybody here have sheep at your house? Probably not, right? Anybody have goats? Anybody got a goat? Okay, awesome, awesome. So, it's a term that was used among shepherds in first century Israel was that some, there would be shepherds who would steal other shepherds' sheep because they would all graze together sometimes and share, share, you know, you share fields. And sometimes shepherds, as they would lead their sheep out, they would take some other sheep with them and they would snatch them from the other shepherd. What Jesus is saying here is that he is the good shepherd he calls himself the good shepherd, and that nobody can steal, nobody can snatch people who are his sheep away from him. We learn about it a little deeper. We don't have time to turn there, but you may want to write this down in the margin of your Bible in Matthew 18. Jesus talks about people who are believers, people who are Christians, people who are his sheep, and how sometimes because the world causes them to stumble, causes them to sin, I don't need to tell you how easy it is to get pulled into something that doesn't honor God or sins against God, right? That's a battle you fight every day. You know what Jesus says, the parable of the good shepherd, is that when one of those sheep, one of his sheep wanders off, you know, like this poor sheep here, or gets stuck in a tire, <laughs> when it wanders off, you know what Jesus does? He pens up the 99 sheep, that he knows where they are and that, he, that, that are following him. And he goes after the sheep that's lost. And he does not stop pursuing the sheep till the sheep is back in the pen. He's specifically talking about Christians who have fallen into sin and who have strayed away from the faith and who have strayed away from living a life that's pleasing to God. And when Jesus says, no one will snatch them out of my hand, Jesus pursues the sheep until it's safe. And you can outrun the under-shepherds. Maybe you haven't read this, but in First Peter chapter 5, it talks about how pastors of churches, did you know the word pastor and the word shepherd are the same in the Greek? Same word. How people who are pastors of churches are under-shepherds, assistant shepherds to the chief shepherd. And there are times, and yeah, this is my 10th year of being a youth pastor here, um, there have been times when there are people, and maybe you know some of these people, they've been in our youth group, you know, they've grown, we've grown together with them, we've served God together and grown in, the, in God's word, and they wander away from serving God, and they wander away from living for God. And, and you know, one of the reasons I try to learn everybody's name is because the Bible says that as, as a pastor, you know, one day I will give an account uh, for your souls. So that's why I take my job seriously. But there are sometimes you're going to wander beyond my reach. And I do everything I can. Your youth leaders do everything they can to try to guide you back into the fold. But the one person you can't outrun is the good shepherd. It's Jesus. And when he says, no one will snatch them out of my hand, he's talking about no person. He's talking about no demon, and he's talking about no one of you. You, you, can't un, you. you can't get yourself out of God's hand. I need one person to help me with an illustration. Let's see. Owen, come on up. I've never used Owen for an illustration. This is our first time working together. So, come on up here. Yeah, give it up for Owen. So, the first question I guess I need to ask Owen is, on a scale of one to ten, how much do you trust me? A 10? Wow, all right. Okay, so what I need you to do is I need you to hold on to my arm right here. 
with your other, can you do it with your other arm? Are you left-handed or right-handed? Right-handed. Okay. And I'm going to hold on to your arm like this, okay? Now, what I want you to do is I want you to stand back there, right on the edge, okay? And we're going to try this one time. I'm going to kind of just lower you down, okay? Stay stiff. And I'm going to lower you down. I'm going to pull you back up. You ready? Hold on to me. I'm going to lower you down. I got you. Don't let go. It's okay. Now, I'm going to pull you back up. Okay. Now, we're going to do it one more time. Ready? We're going to do it one more time, and I'm going to show you something. Let's, let's lower you down. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Hold on. Now let go. Even though Owen let go, I didn't let go. Do you see the illustration here? Even though sometimes we let go of Jesus, he never lets go of us. Which was more comfortable though, Owen, when you were, we were holding on to each other or when I'm holding on to you? Right? I hope I don't leave any bruise marks on your arm. Give Owen a hand for helping out tonight. Um, do you get the picture? There will be times... There will be times in your life where you wander off maybe and you get pulled into sin and you let go of God. But what this reminds us is that Jesus is a good shepherd. He will leave the 99 and go after you and he will never let go. So we can trust, we can know that we can't lose our salvation because Jesus is a good shepherd. Here's the final one. We can trust and we can know that we can't lose our salvation because God is a strong father. God's a strong father. Look at verse 29. He says, my father who has given them to me is greater than all. If, if you're circling stuff, maybe you want to circle that phrase, greater than all. Nobody's greater than God. He's greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. And I and the father are one. We work together on the same mission. We're the same essence, different people working together. Reminds me of Romans chapter 8. You can, may, may even want to turn there. You may want to write it in the margin of your Bible. Reminds me of Romans 8, 33 through 39. It says, who can bring a charge against God's elect? For I am persuaded that de- neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. You want to see how strong God's hand is? Do you see the picture here that we're in the hand of Jesus and that we're also in the hand of God? You want to see how strong God's hand is? I have a couple verses. You may want to write them down. If you have the refuel app, they're on the notes, on the app, so you don't have to write them all down. Look at these words, the verses about God's hand. Jeremiah 32, 7, O sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and earth by your strong hand and powerful arm. So the hand that holds you is the same hand that created the universe. Exodus 15, 6, your right hand, O Lord, is glorious in your power. Your right hand, O Lord, smashes the enemy. So you think Satan stands a chance at getting to you if you're in God's hand? I don't think so. Psalm 89, 13, powerful is your arm, strong is your hand. Your right hand is lifted high in glorious strength. Second Chronicles 26, O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. In your hand are power and might so that most people are not able to withstand you. Is that what it says? It says, so that no one is able to withstand you. One more illustration. I need three guys. We're going to go Luke, Devin, and Gabe. Come on up here. Once again, I want my AirPods back. This time, stand up here. The AirPods represent you, a valuable thing. 
Gabe is God the Father for the purpose of illustration. Devin is Jesus. You are in the hand of God. I want you to put both hands over there. Hold it real tight. Don't let anybody get into it. Luke's going to represent Satan. <laughs> so, stand like this. So, you're in Jesus' hands. You're also in God's hands. And we know that through the power of God, they are two in one. Actually, three in one through the power of the Holy Spirit. They're one in mission. They're different people, but they're of the same power. They're of the same strength. They've been there since the beginning of creation. So they're stuck together. Jesus says in John chapter 17, I'm going to get over here so I can see people, that we should be one just as he and the Father are one. So when Satan tries to attack and when Satan tries to get to us, Hey, Satan, I want you to try to get to God's children. I'm going to give you 10 seconds. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Now, I don't know what you guys are. You just go ahead and sit down for the rest of the lesson like that. There you go. Okay. Yo, I think your AirPods are stuck. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's real convenient. You can give them to me afterwards. Do you see the power, though? God the Father, God the Son, working together in one effort to keep you safe. You can't lose your salvation because it's not about you holding on to God. It's about God holding on to you. So what do you do with something like this? This is, a pretty, this is pretty great news, isn't it? What do you do with news this good? I got five F words for you to apply it to your life. If you've been here long enough, you know that we like our F words, well, not all of them, but uh, we like our F words around here. The first one is flock. I said flock. Question you need to ask yourself, are you part of Jesus's Flock, are you one of his sheep? Because all these promises, they're not for everyone. It says, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. Have you turned to Jesus and believed in him for salvation? The question isn't, have you gone to church your whole life? The question isn't, did you pray a prayer that you didn't understand? The question is, can you go back to a moment in your life when you believed, you said, I believe, and it wasn't the power of the words that you said, it was the power of, of your trust that you placed in Jesus. Remember last week we talked about the trucker and we talked about the hunter going across the lake? Have you trusted Jesus for salvation? Have you put your faith in him? Are you one of the flock who these promises apply to? The second is follow. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice, I know them, and they follow me. I'll just be very honest. I've talked to quite a few, we've took quite a few of you and I have talked about the fact that you, know, you need to be baptized. We're gonna talk more about that in a few weeks, but the first step of obedience and following Jesus is by outwardly professing that inward decision you made to trust Jesus. If you've never been baptized, 
please talk to me afterwards. I would love to set up a date for you. We do it on Sundays. We're even talking about maybe doing it on a Wednesday night um, in conjunction with the church. So if you've, ever, if you've never been baptized, please talk to me afterwards and get started. That's part of Jesus is holding on to you, but holding on to Jesus makes life a lot more sweet. Um, the next F word is fervent. This is great news. Why aren't we telling people about this? Why aren't we telling people they can know for sure that they're one of Jesus' sheep, that they can have an abundant life now and a home in heaven when they die? Um, the next is fallen. And this is one that hits kind of hard. Did you see Jesus' attitude toward people, toward Christians who have fallen into sin? Was his attitude judgmentalism? Was his attitude like one of these things? Was his attitude whispering about them to his disciples? Was his attitude treating them like they have COVID and staying like six feet away from them? What is Jesus doing to people who have fallen and people who have wandered away? Jesus is going after them. What are we doing? We have to set appropriate boundaries and we have to be, be, be careful that we're not influenced in the wrong way. But if we want to be a part of what Jesus is doing, we have to help restore people back to a, a, a vibrant relationship of following Jesus every day. So for some of us, it means less talking about people who are messing up and more encouraging them to come back home. And that's the final thing is father. What's stopping you from coming home to your heavenly father tonight? Maybe you're like that sheep and your life feels like that sheep that you got unstuck from that ditch and you were doing so well for like 0.2 seconds of the school year and now you're right back in that ditch, here's the good news. Your heavenly father is ready to welcome you back home. And maybe tonight you can make it a night where you rededicate your life to Jesus. So we're gonna pray and we're gonna get out of here. So if you will join me in bowing your head and closing your eyes, nobody looking around. We don't do high pressure stuff here. We let God's word and the Holy Spirit do the work, but we don't have much quiet time in our lives, so this moment of quiet, I want to ask you questions, and I don't even want you to raise your hands tonight or anything like that. I just want you to think about these questions in your mind while you have this, like, one minute of quiet space. The first question I want to ask is, do you know that you're saved? Do you know for sure that there's been a moment in time where you put your faith in Jesus, when you believed in Jesus there are only two kinds of people. There are people who are Jesus' sheep and people who are not his sheep. Do you know for sure that you're one of Jesus' sheep? If not, as we have this quiet moment, I would invite you to pray and ask Jesus to save you, to tell him that you put your faith and that you put your trust in him. And it's really not even the prayer that saves you. It's the attitude of your heart. But to give you a moment to settle things forever with Jesus, do that right now. Maybe some of you know somebody, there's a friend, there's somebody from this youth group that's not here tonight because they're running from God. Maybe tonight in this quiet moment, you would pray to God, thank him for not giving up on her or him. Um, ask God to, with his Holy Spirit, convict that person and, and draw their heart back to him. Uh, maybe that's you. <laughs> and you're the Christian, 
And while you're thankful you didn't lose your salvation, you want to receive back the joy of your salvation. Maybe now while we have this quiet moment, you would talk to God and confess your sin and rededicate your life to him. In this moment right now, this quiet before I pray, if you need to do business with God, if you need to talk to God, do it now. God, thank you for not giving up on us. Thank you for being a good shepherd, being a strong father. Thank you for the assurance that we can have that we don't always have to be looking over our shoulder hoping that our good deeds outweigh our bad. But that we can know for sure that no matter what we do, no matter where we fail, we can never outfail your sacrifice on the cross. We thank you that our future can be sure just as we sang in the song tonight. So God, I pray if there's someone here that uh, is just struggling with that, struggling with their salvation, struggling with their walk with you, um, that they'll leave tonight with peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening to the Refuel podcast. If you have any questions or would like to review the notes from this podcast, be sure to download the Refuel app from the App Store on any mobile device.